0: it's good to see all of you this morning you know I look out in the congregation every week and of course I see you I see all of you I do try to make uh, eye contact with everybody at some point some people stick out more than others however there's Tom Sybeck. of course his lovely wife he just came back from Portugal and there's Sean you're a pretty big guy Sean but I think you guys might be outpaced today by Noah, our summer intern. And I just want to say, I don't know if you've been welcome, but welcome to Church of the Atonement. Thank you so much for being willing to work with our youth. Let's give them a round of applause. Now, today for our scripture, I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles to page 546, and we're going to be looking at uh, Proverbs chapter 24 together. And I'm actually going to read verses uh, 8 through 12. This falls in a section of Proverbs called Sayings of the Wise, and there are about 30 or so of those sayings of the wise. I can't quite remember which numbers each of those, uh, each one of these is uh, today. I didn't uh, look it up in your ESV study Bibles, which I don't have, but my wife has. But I want to say that all these verses actually kind of go together. They, they um, occur in a context together. And though the Proverbs stand on their own, they are very much interrelated. So I'm going to begin and read with verse 8. It says, whoever plans to do evil would be called a schemer. And the devising of folly is sin. And the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. Then we come to verse 10, a verse that's often quoted. Maybe you've, read, maybe you've uh, memorized if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. It's sort of a rebuke. It's a warning, or really a rebuke. In fact, some translations put it, If you strength, faint in the day of adversity, how, how small is your strength? And it moves right into the next verses, 11 and 12. Rather than fainting in the day of adversity. Rather than having small strength. It says, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does he not know who weighs the heart? Does he not perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? Will he not repay man according to his work? I'd like you to join with me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we look at this portion of your word now, I ask you to make the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, amen. I want to tell you that when I first heard these verses, when I first came across verses 11 and 12 in particular, I was, uh, I was absolutely stunned, really Here's the image of a person who is just about to be pushed through the mouth of a a furnace or just about to be prodded over the edge into a pit of lions or someone who's just right on the brink of a cliff. And you can imagine this image in your mind's eye. This is the image we really are to call to mind. You can imagine just as the victim has been dragged And prodded at the edge of the precipice. You see them, they're beginning to they're beginning to lose their balance, they're beginning to windmill, flail their arms with terror, and it is going to be over so suddenly, and the evidence of their having been killed will be so quickly removed and gone. A few bone fragments in the lion's den tissue that can't be made out at the bottom of the cliff a little bit of ash in the furnace you could act you could cry out and say no you could stretch out your arm and even grab that victim's hand but it's so risky to do that Because you understand that those who are doing this to the victim have claimed authority and power. You know they are by nature intimidators. They will try to intimidate you. They will try to threaten you. They will persecute you. They would even hurt you if they could. And in such a situation as this, it is so easy to pretend that it was over so fast. The remains are gone so fast. It's easy to pretend that you didn't see a thing and turn the other way. And God says in this text, you may fool others. You may fool yourself. You may believe there's such a thing as plausible deniability. But don't think you can pretend with me. And that's where verse 10 to me is so potent. If you faint in the day of adversity... How small is your strength? And I said that when I first read this or shown this, I was stunned. And I was stunned because it's here in the Bible, frankly. I was stunned because it elevates our responsibility to protect defenseless victims right alongside our responsibility to evangelize the lost. It teaches me, because the Bible is one book, that a commitment to grace is no substitute for a commitment to justice. And by justice, I mean protecting people who deserve protection. And the more defenseless they are, the more obligated we are as people who know God, the Almighty Creator, and Christ, who was conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit, In order to be fully human, it really is incumbent on us to act. And today I apply this passage as I first heard it over 40 years ago to abortion in America. And along the lines of the series which I've begun, I want to say that at the end of your life, you're going to look back at various passions you had, various causes you supported when you were younger. At the end of your life, you're going to look back on those. And in the case of some, and perhaps I'll use an example, I'm not saying everyone agrees with this, but for example, in my generation, you may look back on something like support for the Vietnam War, and you may have regrets. And in the case of other causes and in the case of other passions to which you devoted yourself, you may feel in retrospect that you are being taken in and that you are being manipulated. But I want to say to you this morning that one regret you will never have for as long as you live is your commitment to end abortion. To end abortion. You will never be sorry, ever, that you work to overturn the most reckless decision in the history of the United States Supreme Court, Roe v. Wade, that made abortion legal throughout pregnancy. Chief Justice Warren Burger, who supported the decision, was on the majority opinion of this decision at that time in 1973, dismissed the claim of opponents that Roe v. Wade would lead to abortion on demand. He said it could not, it would not. Dissenting justice at that time, Byron White countered that this decision could only lead to abortion for any reason or for no reason at all. And Byron White was correct. History has proved him right. If you don't believe that late-term abortions are being performed routinely on pregnant women, pregnant mothers, Dr. Leroy Carhart is performing them every week, less than 30 minutes from here Last year he was doing it in Germantown, Maryland We sort of ran him out This year he does it in Northern Virginia And if you think this kind of conduct Is you know, an aberration you know, Taking advantage somehow of loopholes in the law I would just remind you that this year Virginia Delegate Kathy Tran 42nd District, Mount Vernon, Lorton, Springfield Introduced House Bill 2491 into the Virginia legislature to ensure that Virginia approves third trimester abortions. In testimony, she was asked this question that were her bill to pass, quote, how late in the third trimester, that's the very end of pregnancy, could a physician perform an abortion if indicated, if he, if he indicated it would impair the mental health of the woman? In other words, for her mental health. Tran's answer was, Through the third trimester. The third trimester goes all the way up to forty weeks. She was pressed again. Up to the end of the third transmester trimester, Tran responded, it's on television tape. Yep, I don't think we have a limit in the bill. Pressed a third time. Even if the woman is dilating, that is, her cervix is dilating, she is in active labor. Trans reply was this. If a woman is dilating to give birth. You say, how can this be? Why would this exist? Well, it's a widespread view, and I'm not going to recount all of what's happening in the States today. But I think the answer is in the definition that the philosopher Voltaire gave of madness. Madness. What is madness, he asked? To have erroneous perceptions and to reason correctly from them. To begin with a false assumption, a falsehood, and then reason logically and correctly from that falsehood. That, he said, is madness. And beginning with the legal rationales for abortion extending to all of the social justifications for abortion, to the arguments from compassion and quality of life for the mother or the family or the individual that will be left behind. Every defense for abortion proceeds from an assumption that is so false that reasonable arguments and plausible words are a mask for a monstrous practice. Whether by poison chemicals or tornadic suction or surgical knives and pliers designed to dismember, the efficient por- purpose of abortion is to kill a human being and to proceed as if that is not so, which is exactly what's happening in this country, is madness. The Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade decision rested on this fiction, quoting from Justice Harry Blackmun, who wrote the majority report. He referred to the unborn, the unborn child. He said the unborn child is just potential life. Not even human. Potential life. And under the law and in the practice of abortion... An unborn child is not only denied protection but any human sympathy of any kind. Bills requiring fetal anesthesia be administered to the unborn who are being aborted at 20 weeks gestation and later are vehemently opposed. You know, ironically... Recently, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld a provision under Indiana law that was actually signed by then-Governor Mike Pence. That law requires that the remains of an aborted fetus, the law can require that the remains of an aborted fetus be buried or cremated. And so now our high court is in this rather crazy position that while on the one hand... Maintaining that abortion's victims are not human enough human enough, to protect in their life. Their remains are human enough to require an honorable burial on death. There are a lot of laws like this being passed right now, prohibiting abortion when a fetal heartbeat is detected. In which case, again, you've got to keep pace With a falsehood, you have to keep generating falsehoods to cover up a falsehood in which now it's beginning to be argued that the source of that fetal heartbeat is not really a heart, a human heart. Laws that are being passed to say, uh, you know, protect the unborn from the point at which they might survive outside the womb, the so-called viability laws, requiring burial remains, requiring ultrasounds 18 hours in advance of a scheduled abortion. What's the point of all these laws? And the point of all these laws is very simple. It is to provoke us all and ultimately the Supreme Court to review its false assumption. And for theologians to say, and some of you have read them, perhaps some of you have been impressed by them, for theologians to announce that unborn children do not yet have a soul is simply the religious version of a Supreme Court's announcement that the unborn are only potential life. And it is true, it is true, Thomas Aquinas said that a a male fetus is not ensouled until 30 days after conception, and a female not until 60 days after conception. How do you like that, ladies? Our authority is not the theologians of church history. Scripture does not know a soulless human being. The only way Scripture teaches that an individual's soul may be separated from, that, from their body is by Death, it's by killing them. And as I've alluded to already, because the false assumption behind abortion is bound to run up against reality again and again and again, more and more false assumptions must be accepted, more and more of reality must be denied. In the Supreme Court's recent decision on the Indiana law, legal abortion-on-demand advocate Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg actually declared, and this is a quote, a woman who exercises her constitutionally protected right to terminate a pregnancy is not a mother. She's not a mother. So if you're a woman and you're carrying your baby and you're in the third trimester of abortion, or third trimester of pregnancy, forgive me, you're going into labor, you're a mother. But if at that same moment of dilation you decide you want an abortion, you are not a mother. You understand the logic? It's very consistent. It is a reasonable argument from a false presumption. As long as a woman does not want a child and chooses abortion, there never was a child. There was only potential life, so she could not be a mother. So don't suggest that she is a mother. Don't use the word. she chided. Justice Clarence Thomas. You know what all of this really does come down to for me and my thoughts and I think in reality. I think all of this comes down to our commitment. And I say our commitment collectively certainly beginning with mothers because of the nature of human order but our commitment collectively to love and to nurture those whom God has given us, even when it's difficult or hard to do. This is not about the unborn and some deficiency in their humanity. It is about us and a deficiency in our humanity. It is not about something that is absent from them. It's about something that is present in us, which is sin. So abortion is really not only about the need of the unborn to be rescued from death, but our need to be rescued from death as well. And if you ask the question, who are the called to rescue both born and unborn, the answer is the church of Jesus Christ. The once dead, who are now forgiven and alive, in Christ the once blind who can now see this is a matter of justice and it is a matter of mercy and both of these are a matter of love imagine with me for a moment this may actually exist but I'm not sure so imagine with me for a moment an exotic virus comes along. And it reduces perfectly healthy, perfectly normal human beings so that all four limbs are paralyzed. All five senses cease to function. All advanced brain function shuts down. Yet shortly after infection and all these sudden losses, they begin to recover bit by bit, steadily, say over the course of 30 weeks until they are well enough to go home. And in another 10 weeks, they're pretty much fully recovered. Imagine that kind of sudden disease and infection. Is there any point along the way of that 30 weeks of recovery when you would classify those in this condition as less than human because they have the condition, was there any point at which you would deny them the care that they need? Is there any point at which you could, from those evidences, from those conditions, justify putting them to death? Any point at all? Or would you not demand and insist? These are our patients. They were never reduced from a human being to a human part. The fact they had the capacity to regain everything they lost attests to their full humanity throughout. So how can we justify abortion? Abortion? When like these patients, nothing is added to an early human embryo or an advancing human fetus to make him or her a human being. Nothing is added. But rather from fertilization, he or she has simply progressively been unfolding and expressing his or 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 her humanity. They've been showing with more and more evidence and intensity that they are human beings. So why do we not insist they are our children? At the end of the fourth century, and you can put this picture up if you'd like, There was a Syrian monk, um, an ascetic, a Christian, named Telemachus. And Telemachus came to Rome. And he followed the crowd into the Colosseum. And he saw the gladiators standing before Caesar with their swords raised, saying, we who are about to die, salute you. And Telemachus was horrified. And as the gladiators began to prepare to fight, the little monks started crying out, in the name of Christ, stop! And hardly anyone could hear him. And so he went down on the arena, covered with sand, to collect the blood of the dying gladiators, and he began to cry out among them, in the name of Christ, stop! In the name of Christ, stop! And at first the crowds thought this was humor, that this was some sort of like clownishness, but of course it wasn't. And finally it is said that one of those gladiators pierced him through with a sword. And as he fell to the ground and his blood spilled on that sand one last time, he cried out in the name of Christ, stop. Stop. And when he had died, lay there, something very remarkable happened. The gladiators lowered their swords and stared. And from the Colosseum, people in ones and twos began to leave, and then in pairs or groups began to leave. And the emperor who had been there that day, I believe his name was Honorarius, was deeply affected and that marked the end after four centuries of gladiatorial combat in Rome Christian I just want to say to you today that one of the things you will never regret no matter how much it costs you no matter how long it takes Is your commitment to end abortion? This is not a matter of our fanatical madness. This is a matter of our insistent wisdom. Let's pray together. Father, we do love you and thank you for your mercy and your goodness to us in Christ. I want to thank you that you give us your word. We read verses and passages like Psalm 133 or 139, rather, that you knit me together in my mother's womb. Analogizing with Adam from the earth. You put me together when I was in the depths of the earth. I am fearfully, that is awesomely, it is a sacred thing. I am wonderfully, that is a miraculous thing made even in from the womb. These passages are not here that we would defend them. They're here to defend us and to speak to us in the midst of our fallenness and to call us to a persistent wisdom that is part of following Christ who is eternal wisdom forever and I thank you that by your grace in Christ you forgive and have forgiven those of us who have turned to abortion assisted in abortion, procured abortion And I thank you that we have life, eternal life, that we can see. And even if in life now we walk with a limp, we walk. Even if we speak with a slur, we can speak. And we can act for your glory. And I thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.